As Dan mentioned, we are continuing our series on footsteps of faith, and we're going to talk today about the next step. It's going to be something I think that is going to encourage you. I know it'll challenge you. And if you lean in and you open your hearts, when we leave this place in just a few minutes, we're going to live a different way. Now, let's talk just a second in a matter of review or a manner of review to remind you of where we've been and where we're heading by looking at the theme for our series, the footsteps of faith, one step at a time. Sometimes the Christian life seems like a never-ending game of Jesus says. Rules, rules, rules. However, when we look closely at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we learn that Jesus' offer to his first century audience is the same as his offer to us today. He invites us to have a relationship with him, and it begins with a simple request from Jesus. Just take one step at a time. Today, we're going to talk about an obstacle of us taking steps of faith, something that I believe you and I will relate to if we're honest The if we're honest is something that I don't assume, but something that I encourage. And I don't need you to be honest with the people who are around you. I don't even need you to be honest with me. What I want you to be is honest with yourself and honest with God this morning. Now, we're going to talk today about the idea of fear. I'm afraid of things that most people aren't afraid of, and most things that people are afraid of, I'm not afraid of. I'm just wired in a weird kind of a way. And my wife, she's afraid of things that uh, I think she shouldn't be afraid of. I'll give you an example of one of my fears. I don't like heights. Anybody else in here not like heights? Um, Anybody brave enough to admit their fears? Um, Yeah, I don't like ladders particularly. And if I go up above, say, 10 feet, um, I don't enjoy it. I don't appreciate it. And so I send my wife up, who's fearless, right, with the ladders and heights. She'll climb the ladder, and I promise her that if she falls, I'll catch her head at least before she hits the ground to protect the part that she needs to, you know. And for me, um, I just, I won't do it. I'm afraid of it. Now, for Joy, she's afraid of my driving. And I don't find that to be a particularly encouraging or even a realistic fear. I would even say irrational fear. Yesterday, as we were making an emergency run to Target in the middle of a Saturday afternoon, which has got to be the craziest time to go of any crazy times to go, I was on the freeway and somebody pulled out in front of me. And I don't mean just in front of me. I mean in front of me, like 100 yards in front of me. And they tapped their brake lights. So yes, 100 yards of travel distance between me and the car in front of me, and a tap of the brake lights of the vehicle in front of me caused my wife to throw her hooks out, right? Grappling hooks onto the, into the car and suck all of the air out of the car and freak out. And I said, Joy, we're not even close. You can't do that. And she said, I'm afraid. And I said, afraid of what? She goes, well, having a wreck. And I said, you don't need to be afraid, I'm driving. And she waits a second and goes, that's what scares me. So a lot of our fear has to do with, well, our own fears. Some of us are wired biologically to be a little more afraid. Some struggle with anxiety. Some have fears that have just crippled us. Some we use fear as an excuse not to follow one step at a time. It all depends on who's driving. I've asked Pastor Brandon and Jared to come up and uh, lead us in a quick little game to just get the pump primed with this idea of fear. And I know you're going to enjoy it. Last service, it was great. This service, even better. So take us through this, guys. 
Yeah, so like Pastor Rick said, we're going to be talking about fear today. So we're going to play a little bit of a game here. Um, the way this game works is we're going to have a box up here, and Jared and I have decided to put some things in this box. You guys are going to be able to see what's in the box on the screens, but I have two volunteers, if they'll go ahead and come on up. They are going to not be able to see what's in the box, and they have to reach into the box, and they're going to have to feel around for what it is that may be in that box, and then give us their best guesses. So uh, can I get the volunteers to come up, please? They are going to be great. Sports. This is Kathy and Anthony. Give them a round of applause. This is going to be good. <laughs> so all of the people that Kathy trusts less than life are now on stage, probably. <laughs> but Anthony, you're not in on this one. You are, you are participating. So I asked them, do you guys have any fears? Come on, one of you guys come on over here. What is one of your biggest fears, Kathy? Snakes. Kathy says snakes are one of her biggest fears. Anthony knows that we tried to get some snakes this week. There are no snakes. I, they were not going to come up here at all if there were snakes in the box. So what we're going to have you guys do, if you guys can put the blindfolds on, Jared is going to put an object in the box here. I'm going to move this wire out of the way. There we go. All right, you guys are good to go there. I made sure that we have lots of cloths to be able to clean your hands up with afterwards because you might need that. All right, so our first item is in the box. What you guys are gonna do is reach in the box at the same time and just feel around and come up with some guesses on what might be in there. I told them there were no live animals in there, but so the hole's right in front of you, Kathy, there. And there you go, oh, oh, be <laughs> All right, Anthony. <laughs> All right, any guesses? Worms and intestines, maybe? Um, <laughs> anything? <laughs> yeah. Play nice, guys. <laughs> Worm, worms, maybe. Kathy, do you have any guesses? Ramen noodles, all right, all right. Any guesses? Ramen noodles, all right. You can take off your mask and peek inside the box here. Green beans, green beans. Here are some of these for you. We'll have some paper towels, some towels as well to dry off with. So you have this fear of not knowing what it is that's in the box. Sometimes you pay for it with something, something like green beans. Sometimes it's nothing at all. We will get on to the next thing here. We're ready to go. If you guys could put your blindfolds on and Jared's going to set up our next item here. You guys both trust me, right? No. no don't answer that. <laughs> they, they said no. They don't trust, trust the guys here. You guys trust Jared at least? Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. All right. The, we, work we work together. Yeah. So this is a, and this is a family friendly uh, thing here. So, all right. Reach in the box and give us a guess on what may, what, what may be in that. <laughs> any, any, any guesses, Anthony? I don't know. No, no. <laughs> Kathy? It is. We have a stuffed animal there. Sometimes there's something to be afraid of. Sometimes it is nothing at all. Nothing all right. at all. Thank you, guys. So they had to put their hand on the box, right? Their faith and trust had to be in these two pastors, which is a scary place to be. Uh, was it really, was it that scary? Was it all right? No. Yeah. Okay. Because you knew that you could kill them if they did exactly. something. Yeah, yeah. There would be consequences. I I know, I'm, 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 <laughs> and I bet they listen for sure. So I want to remind you of the worldview that we have as Christians. And I'm going to assume that all of us are at least on the same page. Now, my assumption doesn't come from believing that we all agree the same, with the same thing or the same way, 
But my assumption is that we're all at least understanding the principles that I'm gonna to communicate to you over the next few minutes, which is gonna provide a level playing field for us as we continue to shape this relationship with Jesus that happens one step at a time. As I've mentioned to you that today and what we're talking about today is really important because we can't go any further in our developing this relationship with Jesus and becoming a follower of Christ until we address or deal with the things that we're gonna be talking about today. Now, our worldview is very simple as Christians, that the world was created perfect and without sin. Adam and Eve, the first two humans, were created without sin to enjoy and appreciate God. Adam and Eve chose to sin. Because they chose to sin, God, because he was just and holy, he had to punish sin. So he had to curse the world and humanity. Because God is loving and merciful, he provided a plan to reverse that curse. But you and I live in a cursed world, which solves a lot of the problems and the questions, answers a lot of the questions that we have about why things happen in life. We live in a world that's cursed. The world is cursed with original sin, that everyone who is born and has been born from the time of Adam and Eve until today is born sinful. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, the end result, the just result, the payment for our lives, the condition that we're born into, that the result is death, but the free gift of God through Jesus Christ is eternal life. And so we are in the business of partnering with Jesus to reverse the curse. But when people ask questions, why do bad things happen to good people? There are no good people and we live in a world that's been cursed by sin. So I think the question should be, why do good things happen? And that would be the answer because Jesus is in the curse reversing business. So you and I, as we accept this call or listen to this call that Jesus made, and we talked about it the last two weeks as Jesus looked at Peter and Peter's friends, and he said to him, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And so Peter and the other disciples, they had to decide, I'm taking you back to last week and the week before, am I going to trust Jesus? Am I going to let him drive this car? Am I going to let him choose what's in the box? Am I going to walk away from the things that I know, the familiar, into a fear of the unknown, into a fear of potential failure? and to the fear of being looked at like a fool, am I willing to embrace or address my fears and truly become a person of faith? So I wanna ask you a question. We've talked for two weeks about following Jesus, about taking stock in our lives and about uh, taking really everything we know about ourselves and giving them to everything we know about the Lord, saying, yes, I wanna be a follower. And so my question would be, if you haven't done this yet, or if you're struggling with this, what is it that you're afraid of? Are you afraid that perhaps Jesus is not enough? Are you afraid that maybe you're going to miss out on something that you could provide for yourself that maybe God isn't going to give you? Are you afraid that maybe he'll lead you into a life that you don't really want? That instead of freedom, you're going to find the opposite of freedom? So much structure and rules and a rigid relationship that it drives you crazy? What is it you're afraid of? 
Well, the disciples, they had fears just like you and I. And they asked these questions. They asked them to Jesus. We read about it in the Bible, but I'm sure they asked them to each other. And Jesus said, listen, I can tell you what it's going to be like. But as the master teacher, what Jesus did was he said, let me show you what it's going to be like. And so the invitation of Jesus is the same invitation he gives you, my friends, and me. And that is, will we take him by the hand and take that first step that becomes another step, that becomes yet another step, and we are building together a faith. And this faith, as we partner with Jesus to reverse this curse, to be fishers of men, to find this freedom, that's the secret to life. But there's some of us that will not get over our fears. We can never leave them behind. And it causes a pause, a stop, a speed bump that can become, well, we never move past it. So let's talk about that today. Are you ready? We're going to be in Matthew. And I want to take you to a very simple story in Matthew. In this story, we find ourselves in a lake again. Now, Jesus is with his disciples as Jesus spent three years with his disciples. And Jesus was teaching them that, yes, you have fear. And one of the questions the disciples asked, well, why do I have fear? And the reason we have fear is because we have sin. Now, I'm not telling you that the feeling of being afraid is sinful. Some people struggle with anxiety biologically. Some are afraid because there's just a natural desire to preserve life and fears are a natural part of being human. But the reason that we have fear is because the world has been cursed and humans have been cursed, that we are born sinful. And fear is a result of sin because Adam and Eve, the way they were created, they didn't have any fear. So friends, one of the greatest reasons or things you can look forward to about heaven is that there will be an eternity where you are not afraid of anything. But the weird thing is that you read the New Testament like I do and Jesus doesn't talk that much about going to heaven. He talks about following him. And so as the disciples, they're like, well, Jesus, there's lots of stuff to be afraid of. If I literally buy in, and I mean really buy in, and not just kind of buy in, but if I really buy in and say, yeah, this is who I am, it's going to cost me a little bit, and it's a little scary. And Jesus said, look, just follow me, I'll show you. So at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this three years that he spent with his disciples, the lessons that he taught them were pretty easy. They were like kindergarten lessons of faith, which I love to learn from because that's the level that I think I operate on a lot of the time. Toward the middle of Jesus' ministry, the lessons got a little bit more intense, a little bit more, well, they were a little scarier. And then toward the end of Jesus' ministry, when he was preparing for his, his arrest and his trial and his, you know, all the stuff that happened with his crucifixion, these terrible events, the disciples, I mean, they were in full-blown test mode facing fears that you and I sometimes, we hope we never have to face, which is, you know, is Jesus going to leave and is he not who he says he is? And what happens if they arrest me? And I mean, they had all kinds of things running through their mind. And so we're picking up somewhere toward the middle. And Jesus is teaching them, showing them, if you trust me, you have nothing to be afraid of. Now, in Matthew, Matthew 8 and 9, there are nine miracles that happen. So if you read Matthew 8 and 9, and by the way, whether you are a Bible person, whether you are a Christian who's grown up in church, whether you're familiar with the, these things or not, I encourage you to go back and read Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. You can find it if you want to download an app. There are all kinds of Bible apps. I want to encourage you to read Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9 because there are nine miracles. And in these nine miracles, they're divided into 
to threes. Now, the Bible doesn't divide them into threes necessarily, but they're divided into threes by theme. And Jesus deals with disease, he deals with natural disasters, and he deals with sin and the powers of evil. And Jesus heals people from disease, shows his power over, the, over nature and natural disaster, and shows his power and superiority over the forces of evil. Each of these things we deal with, and he's showing and doing these miracles to show us as a foreshadowing of what heaven's going to be like. In a sense, he says, listen, the way that it was intended to be is not the way that it is right now. So let me do something supernatural to show you and the world around the way that it's going to be, the way that it was intended to be, what it looks like when this curse is reversed. And as Jesus extends his hand and invites you and I to be part of this, he says, look, the curse is reversed, just one person at a time. And so the disciples, they find themselves with Jesus and all they think is that they're traveling from one point to another, point A to point B. And in this particular story, the straightest line was the fastest route, and it happened to be across the water. Now, maybe you're afraid of water. I don't know if any of you are afraid of water or afraid of drowning. I guess all of us would be afraid of drowning, right? Some more significantly than others. But I mean, that's a fear, right? Well, these disciples didn't have that fear. For them, it was transportation. For them, for at least four of them, water was a way of making a living. For at least four of them, water was how they spent their, their early formative years. They grew up on the lake. They grew up in the sea. They grew up fishing. And they had seen storm after storm after storm after storm after storm. And so when Jesus had been exhausted from teaching and doing these miracles that I'm talking about, he was tired. And so they were going to travel from one point to the other. Jesus needed to catch a little bit of a nap. It was nighttime. It was toward the end of the winter. Maybe people think April. It was a time prone to storms, but these guys could handle it, man. I mean, you were with the pros. So even if you don't like water, even if you don't know how to swim... And you have to go from point A to point B, and it happens to be across seven miles of open water in this sea. Well, you want to go with people who you think can handle it, who've been there before, who have it all under control. And that's the situation here. Now, this story is mentioned other times in the New Testament. There are other details, not conflicting, contributing details. The book of Mark is one of the places where we get a little more detail, and I'm going to help tell you this story and that I trust and hope we're going to apply this carefully to our lives. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Now, when the Bible says disciples, the Bible means at least three different groups of people. Those who were the hangarounds, those who had decided that, yeah, this is probably true, but I'm not sure it's true, and those who've said, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus, and whatever it looks like, whatever it takes, we're in, even though it scares us to death. So there were a group of people. Now, Mark tells us that there were many boats that were involved, and they were all going to go from one side of the lake to the next. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Now, I want you to visualize Scripture. I want you to picture it, which is why sometimes I take so much time to paint details, word pictures for you. Because these are things that really happened to people who really lived which makes them really important. So I want you to put yourself in the, the place of the disciples. Maybe in the primary boat, right, with Jesus. Maybe in one of the other boats that are accompanying. We've discussed a couple weeks ago that these fishing boats that they traveled in and used for livelihood weren't very big. About 15 people could fit. They didn't have 
uh, cabins down underneath where you could go and, and hunker down. They were open. And there were really two types of travel in boats. There was rowing and there was sailing. Now in Mark, it tells us that they were sailing, that they were sailing across this six or seven mile section of water simply to get from one place to the other. Jesus in the primary boat, the other disciples hanging out and following him, and off they go. A storm comes up. No big deal. Storms happen, right? Storms happen. I'm with professional sailors. Been here, done that. I have the resources to deal with it. We are fine. But the Bible, it describes this storm in a way that's well, unusual. It's described three different times in three different ways. And one time it's described as a hurricane. One is this raging tempest. And one is an earthquake on the water. It's like a fish tank full of water. And if you take it and begin to shake it back and forth, this Sea of Galilee, it was big enough to where the waves could be enormous, but small enough to where these waves would collide against the sides and come back and meet in the middle. And just like a fish tank, if you shake it, would eventually begin to slosh out and who knows, even tip over. And not only that, but the wind was blowing so hard that it would almost capsize the boat just from the force of the gales. And so, as I put myself in the shoes of the disciples, or the sandals, I imagine at first they weren't too stressed out, right? We got this. You and I might be worried. They're not worried. It's in their wheelhouse. And so they probably managed the boat, right? What do you do? You batten down the hatches. So they batten down the hatches. Maybe they tie themselves in. We're going to ride the storm out. We'll be fine. We have the resources. We have the strength. We have the expertise. We know how to deal with this. No big deal. And then it started to become a big deal. I don't know who got scared first. Somebody did. And somebody said to the other person, another disciple, this is getting pretty bad. And the other disciple maybe said to the other, maybe they had to yell, hey, I think we're going to die. Oh, we're not going to die. A few more waves crash. Yeah, we're going to die. And this they start yelling to each other, right? Not panic at first, but panic at last. And then you see Jesus doing something that looks a little weird. I'll read it to you. But Jesus was sleeping. Now, Mark tells us that Jesus grabbed a cushion and he curled up in front of the boat. He was tired. Why was he tired? Because he was busy. He was ministering. He was healing people and he was doing miracles and he was teaching and he was exhausted. I was thinking about other people who slept during a storm. Maybe if you've been around church for any period of time, you know Jonah was one who slept during a storm. Sleeping is a way for some people to try to avoid reality. For Jonah, he was sleeping because he was depressed. He was anxious. He was angry. He had emotion. He wanted to pretend that nothing was going on, that life didn't matter, and he just wanted to sleep. And so he was sleeping until he was awoken by the sailors. But Jesus wasn't depressed. He wasn't angry. He wasn't avoiding. He was tired. Did he know what was going on? Probably. Did he care? Well, in some ways, No but in some ways, very much. I don't know. Again, I like to visualize these stories. So you see Jesus, he's curled up on this cushion and maybe he's watching his friends who he's trying to teach these lessons of 
there's going to be things in life that are going to scare you. And unless you can get through your fear and trust me to drive the ship, unless you will walk with me, you're never going to progress. Maybe he had one eye open. Maybe he was like watching and kind of smiling, going back to sleep. I don't know. Maybe he was like fake sleeping for a while. I'm just guessing. That's not in the Bible, but it would be hilarious, right? Okay, not yet. Time's not right. Go back, you know, back to sleep. And then the disciples, they finally are like, they have a meeting. And they're like, we got to do something. If we don't do something, we're doomed. And I think about how many times you and I spend so much effort and energy in our life getting to the end of our resources before we'll ever turn to the Lord and ask for help. Sometimes it takes so long for us as we struggle to overcome and to handle our own business and to be the master of our own lives, the driver of our own car, the person who chooses what's in the box that in the middle of this stormy moment, there was a beautiful meeting that happened where the disciples looked at each other and they're like, look, I'm not sure what he could do. We've seen him do some pretty cool stuff, but if we don't tell him, well, he's gonna drown and not even know what hit him. We're gonna die for sure. So why don't we see? Wake him up. I'm not gonna wake him up. You wake him up. I'm not poking Jesus. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to do it. You wake him up, right? Imagine probably a pretty quick conversation. So they walk over, they tap Jesus, right? Excuse me. Now he was sleeping hard. How hard? Hard enough to be asleep in the middle of a hurricane, of a tempest, of an earthquake on water with the wind coming down and the boat tipping over. I mean, he was sleeping hard. The disciples went and woke him up. Man, I know there's a lot more that happened than just a couple of words. And then Jesus looked up and replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Um, the way you read this has a lot to do with your view of Jesus. How would Jesus say this? Would it be a lecture? Why are you so afraid? Not the Jesus that I study, not the one I love. Would he have said it with a little bit of a smile? <laughs> Why are you guys so afraid? Was it a little bit disappointment in his voice? Was he just groggy? Like, right? <laughs> Why are you guys so afraid? Right? Let me sleep. I don't know. I wish I did. But he asked him. And I asked myself the same question. I'm going to ask you this question. What are you afraid of? Sometimes our fears paralyze us. Sometimes it's the fear of life and death like the disciples were experiencing. But sometimes it's just the fear of life. It's the fear of following Jesus and taking him at his word. The fear of becoming a fisher of men. And sometimes when we're really honest with ourselves, we're just not 100% sure that it's enough. And the temptation or our tendency, now listen to me, this is really important. The temptation that we have, the tendency that you and I have is to take Jesus and to add him to our lives because we like the concepts, but we haven't finally and fully decided that we're all in and we're really gonna do it his way. What do you mean 
You want me to follow you and trust you with my finances? Are you kidding me, Jesus? You want me to give? I need to save. I need to take care of myself. I can't trust you. You want me to trust you in my career? I can't do that. I have to advance. I have to be promoted. And sometimes our fear makes us make decisions, choices that push us beyond where our faith should allow us to go and begin to ignore and hurt those people who God's called us to influence and to love and only addressing fears will allow us to do it. Sometimes in our marriage, we allow the fear of whether or not our spouse is actually going to make us happy and be enough and our fulfilling life partner to cause us to think questions or think thoughts that we shouldn't think and do things that we shouldn't do and we just aren't willing to trust the Lord. In our parenting, we're afraid that our kids are gonna miss out on opportunities and so we make decisions that we shouldn't make and we know we probably ought not to, but we do because we're just, we're afraid. We're afraid. I really follow you, what are my friends going to think? They're going to think I'm nuts. And you know what? They will. Because friends, when the world says right, Jesus says left. When the cursed world we live in says go, Jesus says stop. When you and I are in the business of reversing the curse with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we literally live a different way. So Jesus looks at them and says, ye of little faith, why are you so afraid? Do you not have the faith to really trust me? And for him, it was a, a baby step. So in Mark chapter five, verse 40, it says, do you have no faith or four verse 40? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves. And there's some pretty cool imagery here in the language. And then the Bible says it was completely calm. Now I've already told you why Jesus did these miracles, but I'll tell you again, because I know sometimes the important things, they're hard to figure out over the things that aren't quite so important. And one of the things that's important here is that when Jesus was doing these miracles, he was doing these miracles to show us what things were intended to be like and the way things are going to be after the kingdom of God, heaven here is fully at hand. To remind us that the world is not the way it's supposed to be, but it's okay, we're going to live in a time where we have trouble, where we go through things, where God is the God of helping us go through these things by leading us through these things, not taking us out of these things until the end of our lives when what some people think is the worst thing ever, we die is the best thing ever because we go to spend eternity in the place God's created for us to be called home. So he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. Now you might ask, how calm? In the English we read completely calm, that's okay, but it's not really that great because what it literally means is from the time that the storm started, even when the winds died down and the clouds blew over, because this lake was structured in the way that it was, it would have taken hours for the wind or for the waves to stop, for the water to be calm because it would continue to bounce against the rocks and each other. And literally with Jesus speaking some words that were very forceful, very commanding, showing that he had power and control, literally the water became so calm that it was like no one in the entire lake or sea had even dropped a pebble into it. Creates a couple of interesting dilemmas for me. One is these guys were sailing and they were in the middle of a lake. They'd be like, all right, Jesus, pretty cool miracle. How are you going to get us home, right? But their response, they were amazed and they looked at each other and they said, I told you Jesus could do it. Why'd you wake him up? What were you worried about? Were you afraid? I wasn't afraid. Were you afraid? 
I wasn't afraid. He was afraid. Thomas was afraid. No, Andrew was afraid. James, you were the one who woke Jesus up. You should never. No, they, they were amazed. And they said, what kind of man is this? He's the God of the storms. He's the God who leads us through. He's the God that takes our fear. And as we give it to him and do what's right anyway, he's the God who builds a faith in us that stands the test of time. He's the God who takes us through one really scary experience and the next time we hit a scary experience, it's still an experience but a little less scary and one builds on the next and builds on the next and pretty soon we're living the kind of life that you and I have seen in other people where the circumstances of life just don't seem to shake them up. And you wonder what's wrong with them. Aren't you paying attention? We live in a scary and dangerous world. And they say, yes, we do. We live in a cursed world. But we serve a God who's reversing the curse. He has power and control over disease and death. He has power and control over nature. And he has power and control over evil and the forces of evil and anything that could come from it. And he's powerful, he's strong enough, compassionate enough to take me by the hand and lead me through even though I'm scared. What kind of man is this? They were amazed. And they had to make a decision. Do I trust him? So, who's driving your car? If it's you and me, I understand why you're scared. Who is choosing what goes in your box? Have you decided to be a person of faith? What is it that you're afraid of? What's holding you back? Father, thank you for my friends.